You know, what I'm gonna be sharing with you uh, today, as well as really this summer, is something that uh, God really spoke directly to my heart, saying, Pat, I want you to preach this. And you know, um, sometimes I kind of sort it out, figure it out, I think God wants me to go here and I'm hoping that's, I'm trusting I'm being led. This is one of those times God spoke to me. I never came up to a place where I didn't know what to preach. I mean, I always said, hey, I want to preach that, preach that. I don't know if I have enough time in my lifetime to do what I'd love to be able to speak on. And I was at this place, I didn't know what to preach. And actually during that time, Mike and Josh were preaching and I had five weeks, I was working on some projects. And one of the things that uh, I was doing is praying daily, God, what would you have me speak on this summer? I really don't know what to speak on. I didn't want to do another series challenging people to get more involved in the church as we regroup from COVID. And I didn't want to preach another series about fighting the fight for truth in the midst of our world. But I wanted to do something that still touched the reality of the difficulties we have felt in this world. Uh, the last three years in particular with the COVID and all the changes and the losses and the sickness and the death that has come with it. And then you take, as Mike just spoke, all the divisions. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on politically, there's division, there's anger, there's accusation, there's all kinds of stuff. And then you take the racial divisions that have taken place. And I said, Lord, I, I wanna stay in touch with reality, but somehow I wanna bring something of refocusing us on Jesus and the joy that can come from him in the midst of difficult times. And I was praying daily. And God, actually it was the fifth week, God whispered into my heart the name of a book. And instantly I knew that was the book he wanted me to preach because it totally fit the bill perfectly. Now this book is gonna hit us at the deepest level of the human life. It's a book uh, that, you know, many of us feel a sense within us that something is missing, you know, and, and that something is broken, something's not okay. And so people find themselves on a search. They're looking for that person, uh, that pleasure, maybe that possession, maybe that position in life that somehow will fill that void that feels like something's missing or fix that part of me that doesn't feel okay. Even when people find it, they often still come up empty. I love the words of Tom Brady. Some of you remember many years ago, he was interviewed on TV. He had won a couple of Super Bowls and got great fame. And when they were talking to Tom, Tom said this. Wait for it to get up there. Is that gonna come up on the big screen? There we go. Why have I reached my goals and still feel like there's something greater out there for me? I mean, Tom Brady, fame, riches, success. I mean, the guy had it all. And he's being interviewed and in the midst of the interview, he says, man, I've reached all my goals and I still feel like there's something greater out there for me. Then he said this, 
not in a prayerful sense, but he said, God, there has to be more than this. And the interviewer asked Tom Brady this, what's the answer, Tom? He said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom Brady, you know, guys, sometimes we need to stop and say, you know, if we take a look and see, you know, there's some people have reached everything I'm hoping to get and it didn't work for them. What makes me think it's going to work for me if I reach all those goals? And so while Tom didn't have an answer, I got a good news for you. Solomon gave us the answer to that question in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. You might wonder where that is. Psalm is right in the middle of the Bible. So if you open up your Bible, of course, many people using phones now, just uh, look on your phone and you can find it easy. But if you got your book, open it in the middle. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And uh, my goal this morning is this. I want to give you a big picture overview of the book of Ecclesiastes so we can gain our bearings in this book. The reason I want us to gain our bearings is this. I'm hoping that you'll be reading it for yourself, and you'll see why here in just a moment. But as I preach it, I'm hoping that um, there'll be a sense that there'll be a greater understanding of where we are. This is a very difficult, complicated, complex book. And what you're going to find this morning is going to feel more teachy than preachy. You're going to feel more like you're in a Moody Bible Institute classroom than a Moraine Valley sermon. Uh, But that's necessary because as I hope you study this book on your own, Uh, you're going to be blessed to the core of your being. But we got to get a little context. What's going on here so I don't get lost when I read it on my own? And as I preach it, hopefully that'll be there. Now, just I'm going to warn you right now, this isn't a verse-by-verse exposition. I'm going to be done by September 1st. There's no way you could do that in Ecclesiastes in that time frame. But I'm going to take some major themes that we have in this book, and hopefully uh, we're going to gain some great lessons for life. If you do a surface reading of this book, you're going to come away saying life is depressing and meaningless. But if you roll up your sleeves, you dig in, do some study, work it out for yourself, you're going to find this book tells us where we find meaning where we find value, where we find significance, where we find joy, and where we don't. So that's what we're going to learn in the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to start by telling you one more value you get from this. Turn to chapter 12. Again, I hope you have your Bibles in front of you because we're going to be looking at a lot of passages this morning as I just try to give us some context. We do have Bibles, I think, in the chairs underneath if you didn't bring one today. If you don't have one, look on with somebody who's sitting by you. Matter of fact, there might be somebody you can meet and say, hey, how would you like to do ice cream social together? I hope everybody signs up for that, guys. We, we would love to continue to interact and get to know one another better. But starting in chapter 12, verse 11 He gives us a value 
to a book like this, a book like Job, a book like Proverbs. Listen to what he says in verse 11. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. We know who the shepherd is, that's God himself. And what he's saying here is he's talking about the words, first of all. The words have been given to God in Scripture. The words in this book in Ecclesiastes are like goads. If you don't know what a goad is, that's that sharp instrument on the end of a long stick that you use to, to uh, just jab the side of a big animal to get them to move, to move them to action. And the words of these, of these wise men that are recorded in these books are like goads that stick us in the side and move us off our seat and get us to move into action. If for no other reason, that's a great reason to read the book. But listen to what he says after that. The masters of these collections, now the masters of these collections are an opportunity for every one of us in this room. Because we get to the opportunity to become a master of these collections of words. So the first thing he's talking about is the words are like goads, but now those who master these words, you and me, if we master these, like any good carpenter or tradesman would understand, your life will become like a well-driven nail. <laughs> you know, you, you put in a nail that's pretty poorly secure, you try to hang something on, it falls apart. But you put in that nail and you drive it well, it holds things together and you can hang things on it. And what he's saying is, is that if you become a master of these words, your life will be strong and firm and secure even in the midst of a crazy world that we're experiencing. Because when Solomon looks at this book, he looks, face, uh, he looks life straight in the face. So let's start, let's try to get the book. I don't know about you, but I wanna become a master of this book because I want my life to be strong and firm and secure in the midst of our times. Now, if you didn't pick up a chart on the way in, raise your hand, somebody will get you one. Uh, we have some people with charts. You see the hands? Keep your hand up high because I want you to see this chart. I want you to keep it with you. We made it small enough to fit in your Bible throughout the whole series. Now, some of you who use phones might want to take a picture of the chart so you can have it with you throughout the series because it'll help give perspective. It's gonna help you in your own study. It's a real simple structure of the book. I'll wait till everybody gets this. Thank you team for handing these out, appreciate it. It's good to see some young people who can actually run over to give it to others. I'm watching that, thank you. If I was handing them out, we'd have to wait till 10.30 until everybody has it. So this book, this chart is my attempt to summarize the book of Ecclesiastes as simple as possible to put in your hands so you can have it for your own study and while we preach through it uh, throughout the summer. Now, he starts off 
in verses, uh, we see the, let let me give you the big overview of the chart. Let me just start there. We start off with the introduction in chapter one. Then we're gonna move into an investigation from chapter two to chapter eight. And then we're gonna see advice, but you know, the longer you sit with things, the better you get. And I thought I should have called that insight, introduction, investigation, insight that he's gonna give us and then he's gonna conclude with his conclusion. Those are the four major movements of the book. He introduces the book, he closes the book. Intro and conclusion. In between we have an investigation and then we're gonna get some insight and advice that he gets from that investigation and what he learned. So let's take a look at this. What, What was he investigating? We see this starting in the first chapter in verses Two and three, as he says this. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And that's what he said. If you just do a service, read his book and go, wow, life is just meaningless and depressing. What advantage does man have in all his work? He's asking the question. This is the question that he's going to face in the book of Ecclesiastes. What profit? What advantage? What value? What benefit? What good does man get in all his works which he does under the sun, right here on earth? We're going to see that word. You'll see it a lot in your reading. Under the sun means right here on on the earth. What advantage do we get in everything that we do and all our efforts? Now, when he says work, he's not talking about nine to five here. Nine to five is a part of it, but it's bigger than that. Everything that man does here on earth, whether it's nine to five, Monday through Thursday, or whether it's your weekend efforts or your out of work stuff, he's talking here and he's asking the question, what advantage is to all that? What's the profit? What's the value? What's the good in all of that? And then we move down to verse 13 of the same chapter, and we're going to see how he tries to answer that question. And in verse 13, it says this, And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. This is what's happening. Solomon, like a scientist in a laboratory, is taking everything that is taking place under earth and he's gonna take a look at it as he's seeking to explore with wisdom to answer that question, what advantage, what profit, what value comes from man's works here on earth? And so as a scientist, we're going to see in this book, we're going to see Solomon going through the book. And as he tries to answer that question, we're going to find along the way, and this is important to know, he's going to discover some things. Like a scientist, he's in the room, he's in the laboratory, he's got some findings, he's found some things out, but they're not the ultimate answer to his question. But he's learning one thing upon another as they build one upon another. And ultimately, at the end of the book, he's going to give us the answer that he found to his investigation. 
So like a scientist, he's looking at life here on earth and everything we do and saying, what's the advantage? What's the profit of it? And in this investigation, we're going to see it's broken up into two different um, categories. First, if you look back at the chart, he's going to look at man's efforts or man's works. Then he's going to look at man's wisdom. We're going to see in chapters 2 through 6, as he looks at man's work, he looks even at a man working to get pleasure for himself and possessions and fame and his work and his riches and so much more. But we see that in chapter 2 to 6. And then we see man's wisdom in chapter 7 to 8 as he looks into that. And it's interesting that right at the start of this book, Solomon previews that for us as he looks in verses 14 and 15, right after verse 13, at man's works. This summarizes chapter 2 to 6 for us. He says this in verse 14, I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now, until you continue to read this book and see phrases like that over and over again, we see especially in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he's referring to God's sovereignty here. And that's a big question, you know, that comes up in this book. If God is sovereign over everything that man does, well, what good are my works? And what he's saying here right at the start is, I've seen all the works that man has done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, because what is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. God is sovereign over our life and our works. And then in verses 16 to 18, he previews to us his investigation into man's wisdom, which we see again in chapters 7 through 8. He said this, And I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, before any other, any other king. I, I'm, God has given me more wisdom than anybody else, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I realize that this also is striving after one. Again, we see at the end of each of these sections, what's this conclusion? All is vanity and striving after wind. If we don't dig into this book, we leave feeling like everything's meaningless, but we're going to find as we go further that's not the case. But look what he says in verse 18. Why is this wisdom? Because in much wisdom there's much grief, and in increased knowledge results in increased pain. What's he mean by that? Well, ask a nurse or a doctor that gets a pain in their side. I get a pain in my side, I say, hey, something's wrong. Nurse or a doctor has got a lot of knowledge and understanding. They get that pain, guess what? They're looking at 10 different possibilities of what's going on. All of a sudden, there's a lot of increased pain in that knowledge because, you know, the ignorance really is bliss, guys. And there is a sense when we don't understand things, we just kind of walk through life like this. But the more you understand and the more you see, sometimes there's more pain to that in understanding what's going on in our life and in our world. And so we see here that Solomon, like a scientist, is taking the question, 
What advantage is there? What profit, what value is there to all the works that man does right here on earth? And he's going to investigate all of man's works and all of man's wisdom to try to answer that. But then we come to his first summary of his findings at the end of chapter 8. Remember uh, chapter 2 to 8? And so I want you to turn to chapter 8, verse 16. Now we're going to find his conclusion of his investigation. Again, I'm trying to give you the big picture structure to the book today so you can have some sense as you go through it. But here's his uh, first conclusion in his study after he's looked at man's works and man's wisdom. Chapter 8, verse 16. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task or the work which has been done on the earth, here it is, this is what we saw. He's been investigating all a man's works and wisdoms right here, even though one should never sleep day and night. And look at the third thing he saw. And I saw every work of God. Then he says, I concluded. What Solomon saw here is this. He saw man's works, he saw man's wisdom, and he saw what God is doing. And he put the three of those together, and I'm gonna say this up early because there's a theme in the book, and we're gonna see it here in a second in the next verse, that when he sees what God is doing, he's primarily referring to the fact that God is sovereign over what's happening. So I look at all of man's wisdom, I look at all of man's work, and I look at God and his sovereignty, and this is what he concluded. Man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though a man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, took life into the laboratory and tested it. And this is his conclusion when he saw all man's works, all man's wisdom, and saw what God's doing. He says, man can't discover what God is doing here on earth. We can't understand it. You know, guys, this is it very simply. We got finite minds. That means we're limited. God is infinite. What God's doing, it goes, uh, you know, has no end, no limit to it. And what we're trying to do with our finite little minds is trying to understand what God is doing in this world and what makes sense of my life and the events of my life. And what one thing we can, one thing we learn along the way from Solomon, we can't really figure it out. We really can't figure it out. And then he moves into chapter nine. This is the next major section of the book. Remember, he starts with an investigation. Then he moves into insight or, you know, advice that he's going to give us in light of what he learned in the next chapters 9 through chapter 12, verse 7. And chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 is what they call a hinge verse. I think uh, probably those are Bible study, uh, not, not Bible study methods, fellowship, Bible. Man, I can't even believe it. Dan, what do you guys call that stuff on Monday nights? Thank you. Bible study fellowship, right? Say what I heard? And uh, you understand what a hinge verse is. A hinge verse is a verse that goes both ways, like the hinge on a door. What happens? A door swings two ways. I move from this room into this room. 
And what chapter 9 verse 1 is, is a hinge verse that moves us back to what we learn in chapters 1 to 8, but moves us forward to what we're going to learn in chapters 9 through 12. And so we see in verse 1 this hinge now that introduces us to the next section. He says this, for I've taken all this to my heart and explain it. And by what did he take to his heart? Everything he learned in verse chapters 2 through 8. I've taken all this to heart. I explained that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. That's sovereignty. <laughs> Again, we see this theme throughout the book. I see all this in the hand. And you know what? Man does not know whether it'll be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. Do I got blessings or trials ahead for me tomorrow? Nobody really knows. I love reading these guys about the stock market and what's going to happen. Do you think any of these guys really know? If you read enough of them, you see they all contradict. You know, suppose they know this guy says this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You know, you have people that tell us this is what's going to happen with my life. And don't worry, God, everything's going to be fine. We don't know that everything's really going to be fine. That's just the truth. And I hear Christians all that, don't worry, it's all going to be fine. God's in control. You know, even when God's in control, sometimes everything doesn't turn out fine. And man really does not know what his future holds in front of him. And then he goes on and says this, anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous, for the wicked, for the good and for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice, the man who doesn't offer a sacrifice, for the good man and for the sinner, for the swear and the one who's afraid to swear. We're gonna go on, bottom line is this, everybody is gonna die. Solomon looks this broken world right in the face, guys, and he doesn't sugarcoat what we're going to hear. <laughs> and I think those of us that are honest with ourselves understand that. We live long enough to say it doesn't work to say, don't worry, everything's going to be fine, because it isn't always fine. And we really don't know what tomorrow's going to bring for us. And one thing we do know is that everybody does die. And so Solomon is beginning to take a real hard look at life and his advice that comes to us in the next three chapters, as you'll see summarized here on your chart, comes out of the findings that he found in the first uh, chapters one to eight from the fact that man does not know what his future holds for him. And we're gonna see this over and over again as you read, I hope on your own, chapters nine to 12 in the fact that every one of us is gonna die. So he gives us advice in the next three chapters in light of that. And then we come to the conclusion of the book. Turn to the very end of the book in chapter 12. We're gonna be in verses 13 to 14. Finally, Solomon's going to answer the question. Like I said, what's the question? What brings profit in all of man's works right here on earth, even though God is sovereign? And then we're going to see this investigation of man's wisdom and man's work. Uh, we'll get a lot of nuggets along the way of advice on how to live in light of all of this. But now we're going to see his final conclusion when all is said and done at the end of the book. 
This is the conclusion that he brings to us. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. Applies to every person in this room, every person in this world. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Now, I'm only introduced to this, because actually next week's message is on this conclusion. I'm going to call it the antidote to vanity. We're going to learn more about vanity. We're going to see God's antidote to it is right here in this passage. And what we see here is that bottom line, the place where person is going to find it profit to their work, and they're going to find meaning to their life, and they're going to find value and significant and joy, it's in fearing God and keeping his commandments, obeying him, with an eye to the fact that someday I'm gonna stand before God and be accountable for my life. Now I want you to look at this phrase here in verse 13. Because, why should we fear God and keep his commandments? Remember Solomon's kind of investigating this question, the laboratory of life in here. He doesn't just tell us his conclusion, he tells us why. Because this applies to every person. Now let me tell you what the Hebrew says there. Matter of fact, if you go back to Young, some of you can get to Young's literal translation. If you look at the literal word for word translation from the Hebrew, this is what it says. For this is the whole of man. This is the whole of man. Well, what in the world does that mean? I love Walter Kaiser, he's one of the big brains in the theological world. I love the way that he says this. We should fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole of man. In other words, this is the mannish of man. This is the womanliness of woman. Brothers and sisters, he's saying this, this is what you were created for. This is what makes a person whole. This is what makes a person's life complete. This is the very thing that we were created for. This is where lasting value, meaning, and significance comes. This is where a man finds out what it means to be a man and what a woman finds out to be a woman when we're rightly related to God and walking with him and fearing him and respecting him and trusting him and we're obeying his commandments. That's what you're created for. And guess what? When I live for what I was created for, it all works. It's the sweet spot that makes sense in life. It's the sweet spot that puts things together. And so when I try to summarize this book, this is, this is the, what, what I tried to, this is the way I say it. Lasting significance is only found in God, not in this world. Now guys, it's, that's a summary statement. This book fleshes this out for us. 
I hope you're going to get into this, trusting the Spirit of God to speak to your heart prayerfully as you read this. Use the war thing we learned from Martin Luther. Worship God for what you see. Admit where you're falling short. Request him to do things in your life. If you take that seriously in this book, you're not only going to find intellectually that lasting significance is only found in God, not in this world, but it's going to move to your heart in such a way that your life is going to look to God for your significance rather than the world and what it has to offer. You know, there's a refrain that goes through this book that is repeated over and over again. I want to just read it to you. I think it'll become obvious to you. Turn back to chapter 2. Solomon keeps coming back. It's, it's, this, it's one of these golden nuggets he gives us along the way. It doesn't answer the question, what brings the lasting meaning and value and profit to everything I do? But it does, it's one of the nuggets of what's good for us along the way. Starting in chapter 2, verse 24. Kimmy, I'm watching your finger. I'm trusting when you get to it on your phone, others will have found it by then. So no pressure. But uh, when your finger stops moving, I know we're ready. You good, baby? You got it, okay. Verse 24 of chapter two. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it's from the hand of God. You know what's from the hand of God? The ability to see good in what I do. That's a gift from God. You can't counsel that up. You can't positively think that up. It's a gift of grace that God gives to the human heart to see my activity as good. And look at this. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him. Turn to chapter 3. Like I said, you're going to see this over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 12. He's going to say this. We're going to deal with this passage in two weeks. After that great section about there's a time for everything and how God has appointed everything. Listen to his conclusion. I know that there is nothing better. You heard that before, haven't you? I know there's nothing better. We keep hearing the same thing. I know there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It's the gift of God. It's a gift of God to enjoy life and it's a gift of God to see the meaning and value and the purpose of what I'm doing with my life. Look it down at uh, verse 22 of chapter three. And I've seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, in his efforts, in his works for this is his lot. Again, we see God's sovereignty beginning to touch in there. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? We saw it's one of the key themes. Man doesn't know what his future holds. So you better enjoy today in the gifts that God has given you. Look at chapter six, verse 18. 
Chapter 6, verse 18. Here it is again. Here is what we have seen. What? It's 518. I can't believe I messed that up. Thank you. Great. Thank you for that correction. 518. Here is what I seen to be good and fitting. Are we on the same verse now? I'm glad you guys are following. I thought maybe you checked out and said, man, I'm looking forward. To, you know, God says it's good to eat and drink and enjoy. You guys say, man, I got a grill going on this afternoon. Come on, get this over so I go home and enjoy that. Thank you for following. Verse 18. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat and to drink and enjoy oneself and all one's labor, which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him for this is his reward. You seen the theme here? <laughs> you know what, guys? Enjoy the simple things of life. There's gonna be a lot of cookouts tomorrow. Some people are gonna feel guilty because it doesn't feel spiritual enough. I'm telling you what, God has given it as a gift to you to enjoy your hot dog, to enjoy your bratwurst, to enjoy your hamburger. Some of you are going to enjoy steaks and chicken. It's a gift from God. Enjoy it. And enjoy the labors of what you've done. Whether it be your work all week or whether it be the things you're doing, these projects around the house or whatever. You know what, guys? It's a gift from God to see good in what you do, to enjoy it and enjoy the simple gifts that God gives us in life. Furthermore, verse 19, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, God has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Brothers and sisters, don't miss it. You can't enjoy life to its fullest in the way you were created to enjoy it unless you're rightly related to God. It's a gift that he gives. And you can't see good in your work. Your life feels meaningless. What I'm doing just seems like a waste of time. Doesn't seem to be meaning-backing anybody. It's a gift from God to see the good that your life brings. And I love this in verse 20, because you know what? When God gives you this gift, guess what you're going to do? For he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Don't you love that? When you have this gift of enjoying life as a gift from God and seeing good in what I do, I'm going to be so occupied with God's goodness to my life that I'm not going to consider the, the, some of the difficult things that are happening as I look life right in the face. Now, I'm not saying consider, I'm not trying to say irresponsible, not consider, but that's not going to be what's controlling your heart. Then finally, in chapter 8, verse 15, we see one final refrain again. So I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry and this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. This is the way I summarize it, brothers and sisters. It's in a PowerPoint. This is how I summarize the kind of a, now I put the second theme into the book. Life is not a puzzle to solve. 
It's a gift to enjoy. Some of us are really getting burnt out trying to figure out all the difficulties in our personal life and all the problems and the frustrations. And some of us are getting burnt out trying to figure out what's going on in this world with all the difficulties and the frustrations and the things going on. And we're spending a lot of time, we're getting depressed and discouraged and angry because we're trying to understand this puzzle of what's happening in the world. God has given us this life to enjoy rather than to figure out. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't responsible in the middle of it. Remember, we said fear God and keep his commandments. We'll talk more about that. But brothers and sisters, if you're getting torqued off and you're getting confused, you know, I've met people because they watch certain news stations, they've had to turn it off because they get so angry and it's controlling their lives. Brothers and sisters, we need to refocus on Jesus like I said, this is a book that's gonna face the broken world right, in, right straight in the eyes and it's not gonna sugarcoat anything. When all said and done, he's telling us even the wisest man can't figure it out. You're best off to set your eyes on God and enjoy the gift that he's given to you in life. And when I put the two of these together, the first theme that I put up so when this, is the, this is the theme of the book. Fear God, enjoy life. All this is on your chart. You don't have to worry about writing that down. If you didn't see it, that's on the bottom of your chart, those three things. This is what the book is telling us. We see fearing God throughout the book coming up over and over again and enjoying the life that he's given us. This is a truth that comes throughout the Bible. It isn't just a book of Ecclesiastes. We learn as we study the Bible that when I'm rightly related to God, then my life finds peace and fulfillment and joy. John 10.10, Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Jesus offers the kind of life that's full of abundance. Jesus offers the kind of life that tells us, this is where I can find meaning and value and significance and joy that lasts. And in John 3.16, for those who don't know Jesus, tells God so loved you. Talk about the world, put your name in there. If you're here today, you're not sure you know Jesus. This is for you today. For God so loved you, the world of people, put your name in there, that he gave his only begotten son, he gave Jesus to die on the cross for you and me to pay for my sins because the, death penalty, the, the, the penalty for sin is death. Either I gotta pay it or he's gonna pay it. Jesus paid it for me. And when I accept that gift by faith, because whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came to pay the price of my sin, to die in my place, so I don't have to spend eternal death and separation from God. And if you're here today, 
I just want to encourage you. We'll have people up here to pray afterwards. You say, man, I, I, this is new to me. I haven't got that or I'm not sure. Please come up and talk to somebody. Grab me. I'll be here. Grab me and say, hey, I don't know if I know Jesus for sure. Make today the day you settle it. Because it won't only guarantee you a ticket in eternity, but it'll guarantee you a life right here on earth. A life where in the core of my being I say, I, I see good in what's going on. I see meaning to it. I have joy. I have abundance. Here's my concern. There's too many Christians, hear me right, Christians, people who come to know Jesus that are living lives where they feel deep within them there's meaninglessness, they lack value, they lack significance, they don't see good in what they do, and they don't know joy. That's Christians. How can that be? I thought Jesus brings life that's full of abundance. Thank you, team, for bringing that around. Keep your hands up, we'll keep on getting it to you. You know, guys, I've said this many times, it applies again here. The same gospel we're saved by is the same gospel we live by. What, what, what does the gospel say? My trust is not in me for what I can do, it's in Jesus and what he can do. I get saved when I look to Jesus in the past on the cross and I trust in what he did for me to give me this new abundant life. And as a believer, how do I walk? I do the same thing, I trust in the spirit of Jesus who now lives in my heart today to do the things in my life today that I can't do for myself. You see, too many Christians have moved from trusting Jesus on the cross in the past to now living really hard for Jesus today or looking and being deceived and not learning the lesson of Ecclesiastes thinking, well, man's work and man's wisdom can fill the emptiness that I'm feeling and the joy that I'm lacking. And so you know what Christians are doing? They're running from one person to the next, from one pleasure to the next, from one position to the next, from one possession to the next, and saying, maybe this is going to give me that meaning, that value, that significance, and that joy. And brothers and sisters, until God gives us the grace for the truth of Ecclesiastes to sink into the core of our being. You're gonna be on a dead end street where you know Jesus and you know you trusted him, but for some reason you're missing out on all this abundance of life. It's because you're looking to the world and all the world has to offer to fill you rather than Jesus.